Welcome to Law for Community Workers On The Go, a series of podcasts designed specifically for community workers, health workers and anyone else who works to support people in their community. This series is brought to you by the Community Legal Education team here at Legal Aid New South Wales and our aim is to help you help your clients. So tune in whenever you can, in the car, on the train, at the gym, cooking dinner, basically wherever you already listen to podcasts. So we hope you enjoyed today's episode and that you learned something new and interesting. This is the second part of a series about men who use violence and what can be done to stop that happening. If this topic could be triggering for you, please stop listening now and feel free to listen to another one of our episodes another time. In part one of this series, we heard about men who use violence and what role the organisation No to Violence can play in supporting and also challenging men to change their behaviour. If you haven't listened to that one, I encourage you to do so. Today, we will be focusing on some resources, a pocket guide and animation that we also mentioned in the last episode that partners of the Cooperative Legal Services Delivery Program in Albury developed to help offenders plan ahead when they get an apprehended violence order or AVO to avoid breaching the order. We'll also hear about an app called Avow with the same objective, and there's a link to that in our show notes. We'll also be hearing about some really interesting work being led by the Domestic Violence Strategy Team at the Department of Communities and Justice in this space. As we said last episode, addressing perpetrator offending and reoffending is a key part of the puzzle in reducing domestic violence in New South Wales, and I hope that you find this episode interesting and also practical. To start off, we'll hear from Christy from the Domestic Violence Strategy Team at the Department of Communities and Justice, talking about the relationship between drugs and alcohol issues and domestic violence. So I think the big thing with drugs and alcohol when we talk about going into programs for family and domestic violence is that they can impact a person's ability to sit through a program and participate and do that self-reflection just of the nature of drug misuse, abuse and addiction. But I think the other side of things is that not everyone that uses drugs and alcohol abuses intimate partners and family members and that that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the reason behind it because a lot of people go through addiction without doing that. So the underlying issues of power and control that exist in domestic and family violence still need to be addressed and that's easier to address when drugs and alcohol aren't involved but it's not a justification for using violence either. Now we're going to hear from the Acting Coordinator of Domestic Violence Regional Strategy Groups at the Department of Communities and Justice. And a brief note, she mentioned something called the Avow app coming out in May. That's now available and you can see a link to it in our show notes. I'm Jay Hardy and I'm uh, the Acting Coordinator of the Domestic Violence Regional Strategy Group for the Northern Region. Um, the Regional Strategy Groups are part of the Premier's priority to reduce domestic violence reoffending by 25% uh, by 2023. And there, there are four groups um, over four police regions and they were set up where there are high rates of reoffending to have a bit of a regional governance framework um, to support collaboration around domestic and family violence initiatives in, in each of those regions. They bring together government agencies at, at a regional level so that we can work on place-based solutions, um, strengthen partnerships and make sure that there's kind of a collaborative cross-government response to reducing domestic and family violence reoffending. Um, the, the RSGs, as we call them, they're, they're part of a broader reducing domestic violence reoffending program, 
which is is a, a pretty comprehensive multi-agency program that sets out how we're working towards this that priority. And and reducing domestic violence reoffending by 25% is really ambitious. Um, and we're seeing we are seeing a reduction in reoffending numbers, but it really takes time to see outcomes from individual interventions that that make up the program. So we're working in spaces um, because evidence suggests that working with offenders can improve victim safety and protect our community from from serious harm caused by domestic and family violence reoffending. So our approach is really um, working with with offenders and hold, helping to hold offenders to account by tackling the attitudes and behaviours that, that lead to the reoffending. Mm, thanks for that. And is there anything that the Department of Communities and Justice has planned in this area for 2021 that you'd like to share? Yeah, uh, the Domestic Violence Strategy Team has been working on redeveloping a phone app for domestic violence defendants who have an apprehended domestic violence order. It's, it's called the Avow app, A-V-O-W, and it'll go live in the App Store for download on both Apple and Android phones um, in mid-May. It's, it's an app that provides general information about ADVOs um, and preparing to go to court. It has some tools and visual clues to help people with, with AVOs understand and comply with, with their order. Um, it has reminders about court dates and, and other key dates you might need. And there's some links to resources uh, like law access, behaviour change programs, drug and alcohol and other um, accommodation services. So they're, they're all easy to find in one app. Um, and once you have an ABO, uh, you, you add your ABO conditions into the app. So you've got handy access to them. They're, they're on hand. Um, and it'll help people kind of understand and, and help to reduce breaches, hopefully. So it has things like, you know, can I go near this location? Um, and, and the other key element of the, the app is the ability to make a plan around the ABO conditions. So... It, it, people can make an if and a then kind of plan for each condition. So if my AVO says I can't be near my partner for 24 hours after I've been drinking, then um, a plan would be if I go out for drinks after work, then I will arrange to stay at a friend's place. So it, it kind of creates some practical um, plans to, to reduce breaches or, or reoffending. Um, we're really hoping that support workers will download the app as well so they can better understand the process themselves and support their clients to, to use it and stick to their order. What are some of the programs or resources uh, that that you provide for men who use violence? So some of the programs um, that are currently delivered in New South Wales under that Reducing Domestic Violence Reoffending Program um, are men's behaviour change programs. So they're some pretty intensive um, 18 to 20 week programs that support offenders to recognise their violent behaviour, uh, develop strategies to stop using violence and, and be accountable for their actions. There's some short-term intervention workshops um, that are, engage offenders early that we've got uh, currently that, at court in Maitland as well. Um, and that, that looks at, I guess it's just that first contact which we're, we're addressing a gap in early intervention opportunities because uh, 18 to 20 weeks is a pretty long commitment and um, short-term ones might be a a good option at that time. There's also DV electronic monitoring. So people who are, who are assessed as really high risk DV offenders 
um, are monitored via a GPS to make sure that they're adhering to their, you know, conditions of bail or ABO and they're not um, close to the victim survivor. And What's Your Plan is a program that's working with Aboriginal defendants or with ABOs and there's an Aboriginal community and client support officer at court who works with them to help them understand the conditions of the AVO and, and really come up with a plan to maybe think about what they're going to do if they might be close to breaching it. Um, and EQUIPS is, is a program that the corrective services um, run both in custodial and community settings um, and it works with medium to high risk offenders and it's it's about um, another plan to reduce their offending behaviour, um, kind of using therapeutic programs such as cognitive behaviour therapy. I guess what I'm wondering is if, if you could kind of dramatically scale up one of those programs to help reduce reoffending, is there one kind of standout that seems to be from, from evaluation or, or from your experience, um, one that is a bit of a standout in terms of reducing reoffending? I think um, some of the men's behaviour change programs that work in that kind of holistic, looking at the bigger picture for a person and, and what's coming up for them and what, what they need. Men's behaviour change programs are kind of still in, an, in its infancy, essentially, as um, we don't have a massive evidence base about change in that space yet. But it's really interesting when we're looking at um, if we're trying to reduce domestic violence reoffending, then we do need to work with the people who are committing domestic violence. Um, and I, I think it'd be really great to upscale both men's behaviour change programs and maybe some of the shorter term interventions uh-huh. that family support providers or other workshops um, can do because it might be the first time that, that a person's been challenged on their behaviour, might be the first time they've gone to court for an AVO matter and it's a good time to actually, um, you know, look at what some of their beliefs and behaviours are um, and, and help them if they want to work towards uh, not using violence and having better relationships really. Do you have much of a sense of whether that kind of delivering services online has that same kind of efficacy as doing things in person? I think the positives of, of working or having a program accessible to people online was really useful for people who might work full time and couldn't get to uh, weekday courses. I think courses that you can do in your own time and if you're committed to it, um, that, that that is create another level of accessibility. But I think um, with men's behaviour change programs, a big part of the group work is some of that accountability and the group discussion, both with other people who were there for similar reasons and with the facilitators. So it is a bit harder to have some of that um, group dynamic and, and free-flowing discussion, I think, um, mm. over an IT platform. But on the other side as well, it really, because there aren't as many um, programs available in regional and rural areas um, that we'd like, it really opened up... Um, the accessibility to regional and rural areas to, to participate in um, a group that otherwise they wouldn't be able to physically attend. So there's positives and, and, and negatives to it too. Yeah. Um, this our, our audience for this podcast is community workers. W- would you have one or two key messages for them if they're working with someone who has perpetrated family violence? Um, I guess 
community workers uh, usually have a pretty good idea of um, what services are around um, that support people who may have experienced domestic violence. So I'd, I'd really encourage people to be to have a bit of an understanding of who also can work with people who who use family violence. Um, and there are support services and opportunities for those people to to change their behaviour. And um, even if it's not a targeted uh, men's behaviour change program or domestic violence program, some of the broader services like family support services or um, broader case management really can can work with with people to help um, help them. You help them choose not to use violence and there are resources around to help people you know get to those supports so travel fees and fees to the courses aren't a barrier um, I'd really recommend that um, you support a client to, to contact the men's referral service because they have a lot of information about programs in your area or have some online counselling um, for people who, who use violence as well. But it's important for community workers to also know that, that readiness um, is a, a key part of men's behaviour change programs. So a person needs to want to change to be um, a better parent or to keep out of jail or have relationships to get the best out of a program. Um, and so they're not a good referral if, if you're just looking for something to complete before, before a next court date. Um, okay. They're really long, a lengthy journey, and, and there's case management and wider supports that might be um, linked into a person's wellbeing um, before they even engage in the, in the program. And so some of that's about maybe addressing immediate needs like housing, drug or alcohol misuse, um, because they have to be be ready and um, in a good space to before they can attend um, offender interventions like that. Mm. Um, and to get somebody ready, or to help support somebody to be ready. Uh, yeah, what are, what are some of the things that community workers can do? I mean, I guess you talked about some of them in terms of you need to have your housing and. Well, um, that's it. You know, if someone is is not doesn't have somewhere safe to live they're probably not in a space to talk about how they communicate and, and, and how their relationships are. Um, if somebody's really got quite an intense drug misuse problem, then um, they're not going to be able to take anything in from any of the groups or be helpful for other people in that men's behaviour change program, I guess, to, to work through some of the situations. Um, but, but, the Men's Behaviour Change Program, I guess, now have a bit of flexibility around working one-on-one -on -one, um, in that preparedness kind of time before a group might start. So they might be able to, to help someone um, get into a, a good position to be able to, to get the most out of an offender intervention. So whether that's addressing some of their immediate needs or having a bit more of an understanding about their accountability um, and, and, and reason why they might want to attend the group and what they want to get out of it. Um, and then it's really, really useful for everybody that's in that, in that program. And the other thing for community workers to, to think about and is that they have to keep the victim survivors at the centre of all their thinking mm -hmm. about um, safety and planning. So even though they're men's behaviour change programs, the aim of them is um, to achieve behavioural change that keeps women and children safer. So um, a lot of those groups also contact um, the partner or ex-partner uh, with consent of the participant during the program just to, to check in and make sure everything's going okay. So it really isn't just um, a standalone kind of thing. 
There's, there's also a few other resources that um, community workers probably could be aware of. That's like the Men's Telephone Counselling and Referral Service, which is 24 hours a day, toll-free number in um, New South Wales. Um, it also provides support and referrals for partners, male or female, and friends and family who, who want information about controlling or violent behaviour. Um, Men's Line is, is a national telephone support and information referral service for, for men with family and relationship concerns, so it's probably a little, little less targeted, but that's also available 24 hours a day. And Brother to Brother is a, a crisis line for Aboriginal men, staffed by Aboriginal men, which also is uh, 24 hours a day. So maybe we could add the contact numbers for, for those services um, in the notes so, so community workers can can link in with them because they're uh, national and all New South Wales based. Yeah, great. Thanks so much, Joe. The other question I had was around, you've had a chance to view the new animated resource, which we'll also link to in our show notes. Can you tell me what you think about it and how you think it might be helpful for clients? I think the animated resource is great. Um, I've worked with people who have to sit in court um, in, in the foyer kind of area waiting to be to have their matter heard. So you're there for a, quite a while. So it would be really great um, if that animation was showing um, because it, it's, it's easy to understand. It's, it's like someone's talking you through um, what a, an AVO is about and it's a really accessible resource because it takes the legal jargon out and, and explains it in plain English. Wonderful. Um, and you also saw the pocket guide. Um, what do you think are its most useful features? So we've, we've been distributing the pocket guide um, a lot in the Hunter region. I know the um, New South Wales police uh, DB officers are really keen on it as well. I think because it's a great size, you can you can put it in your pocket. Um, it, it explains an order in plain English. And I think the examples let you tailor it to someone's individual situation. And so I've seen police um, DV officers or solicitors kind of go through a person's order and the conditions um, with them kind of using that booklet as well. So it's really it's really relevant information, and those visuals make it make it easier to understand. I've been doing a bit of work around, um, you know, plain English and easy read English, which is pretty hard in a legal space. But I, I mm -hmm. think um, it really helps people with a disability, um, people from a culturally culturally and linguistically diverse background, or with low levels of literacy, um, access the resource the way it's set out. So, and the links and. Uh, the links in the back are really helpful as well to resources. Now we're going to hear more from Christy, who we heard from at the beginning of this episode. I'm Christy Harris from the Domestic Violence Strategy Team at the Department of Communities and Justice. Um, so I run a short-term intervention for perpetrators of domestic violence um, to get them into programs for program readiness to assess their behaviour and get further support. Can you tell me a bit about the short-term domestic violence offender program you've been yes. involved with? Yeah, so it's a one-day workshop that looks at the behaviours that led up to ADVOs and charges for offenders and it gives the offenders skills and tools that if something happens again, they've got a better planning place, so keeping them safe and not coming back to court and also having the opportunity to be part of a workshop to get some support 
both for the domestic violence aspect and anything else that is going on in their life. So we have contact with them for assessment and referral, so whether it's to drug and alcohol, mental health, um, family support, financial counselling and those sorts of things, as well as do follow-up to try to get them into bigger long-term men's behaviour change programs that are run in non-gov organisations that are sort of the 18-week ones that focus more on um, recognising violent behaviour and developing strategies to stop people using violence. Who can do this program? So anyone that's had a history of family and domestic violence usually would be at court and we're able to talk to people on the day on Domestic Violence List Day um, to support them into the workshops as well. So you can be self-referred or um, referred from other services, solicitors or magistrates. Mm-hmm. And how long does it go for? So it's just a one-day workshop. Um, what we find is a lot of people haven't been to any services or workshops before, so it's more for that program readiness to get some skills but get some support of how you go in a day for a workshop and um, sort of understand that it is a non-judgmental environment and it's there to support people because it can be really daunting coming to those things. Um, so it's sort of a bit of a... I guess a taster of what some of the other programs are about and just to feel safe in a program to talk about or to get some education on what's been happening in their lives. Is it a kind of a balancing exercise between providing that support to make people feel comfortable uh, speaking about what's going on in their lives and also challenging people around their behaviour? How do you walk that line? Yeah, so... The short-term intervention programs, you're more looking at just education. Um, so it's education around communication building, um, understanding thoughts, actions and behaviours and how they sort of all link together and more so than I guess the psychotherapy or anything like that. It's pure education. Things do get challenged respectfully in the workshops, but it's not at the person, it's at the behaviours. Are there any other things that if, if you were trying to manage somebody's expectations who was wondering if they should do the program, are, are there any points that you would make to them? Yeah, um, that we recognise that every story is different. So individuals come to the workshop. So um, understanding that even though people are there for what could be recognised as similar offences, there's still an individual s- story behind that and the acknowledgement that all stories are different and it's about the individual getting support. Um, and just working on that self-reflection for themselves as well. Mm-hmm. And our podcast is aimed at community workers. Are there three kind of main tips that you would want them to know about supporting clients when they're engaging with domestic violence offender programs? Yeah, so I think that one of the biggest one is understanding the difference between domestic violence and anger management. Um, one of the big things that come is that often people think they're being referred to an anger management program um, when it's still for domestic violence and they're not interchangeable. So domestic violence is about power and control with intimate partners or family members, whereas I guess anger management's more that lack of control in behaviour and sometimes people associate that more with domestic violence um, from the anger side as an outburst or something that, is more about the anger than what domestic violence is about with the power and control. Like when you say that they're very distinct, is, is there an overlap there? Or? So I think the secondary emotion that people see is the anger that as an outburst. But with a lot of people, when you talk domestic violence, they've been able to hold jobs for 
like years and years without having those angry issues. They've been able to like go to the shops, do those things, but it's when they're in those domestic relationships with intimate partners or family members that that power and control, I guess, becomes the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much the anger and it's sort of looking at the underlying issues behind domestic violence and not just the outburst of needing to address anger problems. And are those underlying things quite different from person to person? So I think with the with domestic violence, uh, it's it's still about power and control of trying to get exert power over someone else um, and create that fear and power imbalance within that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think that's still the underlying when we talk domestic violence. That's still the underlying issue that becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you have any other tips for our community workers? Yes, I think one of the other big important thing is that community workers and legal practitioners familiarise themselves with what services are available out there for clients. Um, often they don't know about different places they can find support for ongoing support, so whether it may be men's behaviour change program or counselling or anything like that, but doing the holistic approach for a client to get that support as well. Um, so addressing maybe some of if there's underlying issues of drug and alcohol that need to be fixed before they could um, go into programs to be able to participate in those things, then that becomes important and understanding um, what programs are available locally to support people who want to change their behaviour. Also, sometimes the court registry have brochures or there'll be people on site at the day or the court staff are even a really good place to start as well. Um, We often get referrals from them depending what services are there on the day as well. Would you say there's a bit of a sense that if somebody is wanting to create change in their life that there there are the services there and there are the resources available? Yes, um, I think it's sometimes difficult to find if you're not familiar with it or familiar with the area, but it is there and even the police in a lot of these things have been really good at handing brochures out or getting support at time of crisis and time of offence to pass numbers on or men's referral line to get that immediate support as well or the domestic violence hotline. Mm-hmm. Any other tips for our community workers? Um, just, I guess the final one would be that clients need to have some insight into their own behaviour and a willingness to participate. So programs are voluntary. Um, you can't really force people to make those changes. There needs to be um, a want from them or some insight that things aren't going great at the moment and they do need a bit of support. And I think with that, it being voluntary, I think it gives clients an opportunity to actually participate in getting support rather than being punished by it. Um, or court mandated in supervision or community corrections that doing it pre-sentence when people are in time of crisis sometimes gives that opportunity for change as well. Is there a commonality of what gets people to that point of being ready to make change in their lives? Or I mean, you've talked about if there are underlying issues with drug and alcohol, for example, or if there's housing issues that if those needs aren't met first, it can be difficult for somebody to, to be in a position where they're, they're willing to do that work. Is that fair? Yeah, it can be. Um, obviously, if life's in crisis in homelessness or drug and alcohol, it's going to be difficult to attend appointments and to even be accepted into groups. So some of those things need to be assessed 
first and I think in there's often in our agencies and that sort of thing that we'll work together with that. Um, as far as the clients being ready, I think it's an individual thing It's and I don't think you can really pick it from person to person. It's when they feel that sense that their behaviours got to a point that they need to change um, because those things are going downhill and it's been really difficult but that will definitely change from person to person some people might be first-time offenders some people might be there at court for many other times that you just wouldn't know we sent you some copies of the how to stick to your order pocket guide uh, which we'll link to in our show notes can you tell me how you use it with people who attend short-term perpetrator interventions yeah so i found it really useful at court so i spend um at different locations at court on domestic violence list day, offering support to um, offenders of domestic violence. And I found it really useful for the first-time offenders and I've used it as a tool to sit down with them to go over what a- the ADVL is and it's something they can take home and read or look at when they're able to as well because I think a lot of first-time offenders or a lot of offenders in general who come to court, they don't always fully understand the ADVO conditions because court's quite daunting and confusing and overwhelming um, for anyone as well. So understanding them, especially at a first time, is quite difficult. So having that tool like the pocketbook allows you to sit with someone with a guide going through some of those conditions to look at okay so if you've been drinking that was part of your ADVO what can you do and they've got some really cool suggestions about how not to breach it. I think as well the phone numbers at the back are really useful for people to take home with them because even though you can research and google and all those things having it and seeing it there is a little bit more motivating because you know you're going into the right service for support mm-hmm. to be able to get that if it's one-on-one counselling or like referrals or anything like that. Some people aren't ready on the day at court because of how overwhelming it can be. So it's allowing them to take it home to go through that um, and look at the things that might be really helpful in their lives at a time where it's not so hectic like mm-hmm. the court days are. And have you had any feedback from clients directly about the pocket guide? Yes, they've really liked it. I think because it fits in your pocket, you're not carrying it around. They can take it home and don't have to sort of look at it while they're at court if they don't want to. But it's also something that they can um, refer to and it's quite easy to read for some of the clients that have lower literacy um, because there's the pictures and it's really simple English. And there's a lot of information referrals to services on the day that it can be really difficult to retain information. So that passing on something that they can use as a resource is a really positive thing. Yeah, great. And finally, what is the key to sticking to an apprehended domestic violence order? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things is understanding the conditions and the consequences of breaching an ADVO. It's also important that clients understand and it's explained to them that the ADVO is a civil matter but breaching it can make it a criminal matter so consenting and adhering to orders keeps it as a civil matter but breaching it can lead to that criminal history and a criminal charge. Thanks so much, Christy. We're now going to finish off this episode by hearing from Raisa, who works with partners of the Cooperative Legal Services Delivery Program, or CLSD, in Albury, where the idea for the need for a resource all began. If you want more information about who the CLSD are, please find a link in the show notes.
hello, my name is Raya Sibikoski and I'm the New South Wales Outreach Lawyer with the Hume Riverina Community Legal Service. Thank you so much and thank you for joining us. Could you please tell me about the role the Hume Riverina Community Legal Service played in bringing this resource together? Of course. So we coordinate Legal Aid's Cooperative Legal Service Delivery Program for the Albury region. And the How to Stick to Your Order booklet was one of our CLSD projects a few years ago. So like much of regional New South Wales, the breach rate of ADVOs in Albury is consistently higher than the state average. So we came up with an idea of the booklet. Um, as a way to help people to better understand their conditions of their ADVO to show how making small changes to a daily routine can help people avoid reaching their order and also to encourage people to access help early on. So the scenarios in the booklet were chosen specifically because they were identified as the main situations that landed most people back in court locally for breaching orders. Um, the CLSD unit were really supportive of the project. So um, they could see that it would benefit people who might breach their order simply because they didn't understand the conditions and they got right behind it and the project, they, they really helped out as much as they could. So we did purposely have a long lead time to make sure that we consulted with key stakeholders and there were numerous drafts made before everyone was finally comfortable with it and we could confidently say that it was finished. Um, to note, the CLSD unit were able to get a graphic designer on board who had a background in community legal education, which was really fantastic because she understood the concept and what we were trying to achieve. The designer kept the text to a minimum, added really helpful pictures, and it was actually her idea to make the booklet pocket size, which is a key feature. So its size makes it much more discreet for people to pick up and carry around with them rather than a regular size pamphlet or a fact sheet. Um, so it really was a collaborative project and everybody has been really pleased with the end result. And we do feel like it has successfully met the aim of the project. Oh, great. And have you started using the Apprehended Domestic Violence Order resource yet? Um, yes, we have. So the booklet is in circulation locally and in other CLSD program regions with relevant services, and we're getting more and more inquiries about it all the time. And we are really pleased that other services and organisations are seeing the value in it. So we have received some feedback from a local social worker, which probably typifies why the resource has gained the attention of services across the state, particularly in regional New South Wales, with that feedback being that it's an awesome resource, it's clear, it's concise, it has good graphics and, and really useful tips. And the scenarios are based on real-life examples. The language is simple and there are a lot of pictures. So services have told us that this resource helps their clients to better understand how their order applies to their day-to-day -day life and to plan what they need to do so they, they can comply with their orders. And the feedback that we have received has, has led to the booklet be getting support from the New South Wales Bar Association. And now that the animation has been produced, we hope the information will reach an even wider audience. And we are absolutely sure that this is going to make a great addition to televisions in waiting rooms in our local courts. And is that is that already happening? Do you know? I'm not sure, but it is something I believe our community development manager is working on locally. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Law for Community Workers On The Go is brought to you by Legal Aid New South Wales.
Our aim is to help community workers, health workers and anyone else who works to support people in their community know about the laws that affect their clients and the services that are out there that can best help. Now there's really only one way we can make sure that that information is relevant and helpful to your work and that's with your help. So if you have any feedback for us or maybe your clients keep asking you the same thing and you just want to know more about that topic, then please get in touch with us. The email address is cle at legalaid.newsouthwales.gov.au. Make sure you follow our podcast channel on either iTunes or the Podbean app. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our Law for Community Worker alerts to find out what webinars and podcasts are coming up. You can subscribe to our alerts by going to the Legal Aid New South Wales website, hitting the tab News and Media, and then just follow the links. Until next time, thanks again from the CLE branch here at Legal Aid New South Wales.